Have you ever been in one of those situations where you expected one thing and you got something else? Of course. <laughs> no, Scott. Life always turns out exactly as I want it. Maybe you've expected one thing, but surprise, something else actually happens. There was a man who went into a hardware store once, uh, and he asked for a chainsaw. So the salesman uh, took him back to where the chainsaws were, and, and he brought him the latest model with all of the, the best technology in chainsaws, guaranteed, it said, to cut 10 cords of wood a day. So the man bought it on the spot. Well, the next day, this man returns to the store with his new chainsaw, and he looked physically exhausted. He just looked beat. And he said, something must be wrong with this chainsaw. I worked as hard as I could, and I only managed to cut three cords of wood with this newfangled chainsaw when I used to be able to do four with my old-fashioned handsaw. Well, the salesman, of course, looked a little confused, and he said, well, come on back. Uh, we keep some wood in the back, and, and, and we'll, let's try it on some wood back there. So they went to the wood pile, and, and the salesman pulled the cord, and as the motor went vroom, the customer jumped back and yelled, what's that noise? He had no clue. He was surprised at how it really worked. I can't imagine trying to cut three cords of wood with a chainsaw. You ever been surprised in life in ways that were totally different than you expected what was going to happen? Sure. We've all experienced that. In fact, that almost seems to characterize a lot of life. And really the question might be, how do we adapt to that being the reality of our lives? How do we adapt to that being what we are presented with? For at least a century and a half, there were no girls born in the Wakefield family. And surprise, we've got a beautiful 10-year-old girl with a soft heart and a sharp mind. The surprise is not the daughter part. Uh, the surprise is not the beautiful soft heart, that, but the daughter part. Uh, the ultrasound for us showed no conclusive gender whatsoever. Uh, we assumed, like every other boy born in the Wakefield family, for 150 years, that's what we'd get. And when this girl came out and screaming like a baby, I began to sort of bawl like a baby. And I walked out into the hallway, and everybody thought something must have been wrong. But I said, it's a girl, and we were all surprised together. And life is like that, isn't it? I mean, you... You have to learn to adapt to what actually happens and what's presented in front of you. And the surprise of life might just be how we deal with those things as opposed to what we think they're supposed to be. So Peter and John experienced exactly that in Acts 3. They planned one thing, but something else happened. They were planning to go to the temple. They had their worship set out for them for the day, but something else is what happened. Look at verse 1 in Acts, the third chapter. This is the surprising event that was a miracle in the name of Jesus. So it says this, verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So faithful Jews in that day went to the temple three times a day if they lived in Jerusalem, if they lived close by, three times a day. There was a morning sacrifice, an afternoon sacrifice, and then sunset. And this was the second time, 3 p.m., of their temple worship. So they thought that they were going up to the temple mount to pray. They thought they were going to worship, and they weren't looking for ministry opportunities. But one presented itself for them, verse 2. It says, a man lame from birth was being carried. A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. This man was lame from birth, it says. The word used here meant a paralysis of the ankles. 
It's something that he had probably experienced for some 40 plus years. We learn that later on. And it says he was being carried. They laid him daily at the gate of the temple to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, it's important to note that this lame man was not allowed to go into the temple. Anyone with any sort of defect was not allowed to enter the temple. He could not worship like everyone else could worship. We know this from Leviticus 21, 16 to 18 for the note takers. Leviticus 21, 16 to 18. He wasn't allowed to go in. So don't miss this because it's important later. This lame man was denied access According to the accepted Jewish structures, he was denied access to fitting participation in the worship of God. And so what he did was he stayed outside as a professional beggar. And as we know from Acts 4.22, he'd been lame for 40 years. So he'd probably been doing this for quite a long time. In fact, just an interesting tidbit if you think about it, if he'd been doing this daily for any length of time at all, This lame man has seen Jesus. This lame man has already seen Jesus with his own eyes and certainly knew who he was and what he had done. So even though it isn't explicit in the text from Luke, we can reasonably infer that this lame man wasn't unaware of who Jesus was. So keep this in mind as we read, going verse by verse, precept upon precept. Verse 3. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Luke is careful to say that he saw them. Seeing Peter and John, that little phrase there, means he took note of them specifically. Lots of people going in, he sees them. We're supposed to catch Luke's point here that this lame man picked them out of the crowd. Maybe he knew Peter and John. The disciples were well known among the people there at the temple. So if he's here every day, he certainly knew about Peter's preaching at Acts 2, at Pentecost, which was close enough to the temple grounds so the people from the temple came and listened. He knew about this ruckus. He knew what was going on. And so, verse 3, seeing them about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. It's almost like he went into this eyes-glazed-over routine that he'd been carrying on for years. Uh, he, he went into the same spiel he'd be going, going through for years. Alms for the poor, help a lame man. And so in verse 3, he goes into this sort of help a brother out routine. Verse 4, it says, Peter and John wake him up. Peter directed his gaze at him. They sort of alert him, as did John, and said, look at us. He grabs his attention. And he says, hey, pay attention. Peter was not what you'd call indecisive. And so he and John focused intently on this man. And Peter said, look at us. So at this point, if you've been paralyzed from birth and you're begging and you know Jesus and you know you're begging from his followers, you're expecting something good. Look at verse 5. It says, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Peter said, I love this line. This is an awesome line. I've always loved this. I have no silver and gold, no dice on getting cash, bro. But what I have, I give you. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. 
this is a good way, by the way, to think about what it means to go beyond what we think is important into what's really important. To go beyond, hey, how's the weather, <laughs> into how's your relationship with God. Now, I don't necessarily suggest just, you know, hey, how's the weather and do you love Jesus? But it's a way to model getting beyond superficial how you doing today talk. Peter models that for us. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you. And what he has is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus which holds power over sin. What he has is the holding of power over sin in the name of Jesus that is far more value than what this beggar Far more valuable than what this beggar might have been expecting. And then Peter just declares this. He says with confidence, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, verse 6, rise up and walk. And so in a matter of just, just a few seconds, this beggar has probably gone from minor disappointment at hearing that Peter was broke to disbelief when he was told to rise up and to walk. He'd most likely been sitting there in that one spot for many years, has heard countless people give him the same kind of speech, the same kind of excuse for passing him by and not helping. But no one has ever said anything to him like this. And so, verse 7, And he, Peter, took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Boom, like that, a miracle happens, he can walk. Now the real surprise isn't really with Peter and John. The real surprise here is that a beggar expecting money or earthly help receives healing. Expecting one thing, receiving something else. The real surprise is that freedom from sin is what Peter and John were giving away. We can see the surprise, verse 8, by his response, his reaction. It says, leaping up, he stood and began to walk. Now, let me, let me show you something cool here. This word leaping, this word leaping here, circle that, because Luke uses a rare word that isn't often used, but it's used one time in, in, in Isaiah 35. It's used in Isaiah 35, verse 6. This word leaping, where it talks about what, it, what happens when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes, it says this, Isaiah 35, 6. It says, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Then, meaning in that time when the Messiah comes, the lame man will leap like a deer. It's a sign in the Old Testament that the Messiah had come. It's so cool what you see in the word if you just do a little digging. So where it says this, back to Acts, where it says that he began to walk, right there in uh, verse 8, it's not just the simple idea that he began to be able to walk. It's the idea that he started to walk and kept walking. In other words, the, the implication is that he started to walk around and show people that what was happening was the real deal. Luke has tons of little clues like this where he says, look, I'm not making this up. This is the real thing. Uh, this is just a little example. We don't have time to, to see them all. But he walks around and shows everybody as a walking witness. He makes sure people sees this. So the people see this, verse 8, leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them. For the first time in this lame-from-birth man's life, he enters the temple. He couldn't go in before, but now he can. He was an outcast. 
He had a defect. He was not allowed to be in there to worship the Most High God like everybody else was. But now, after the name of Jesus brought healing, he's not only going to the temple with them because he can walk, but because he can go into the temple with them as a fellow worshiper of God. This transformation was far more than just physical. It says, verse 8, He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He could now go in as a whole person, worshiping God like he always wanted to. So verse 9, All the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. Another little note that, that Luke shows us. I'm not just making this up. They recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So Peter and John, they think they're going to worship. They think they're going to the temple like they always did. <laughs> Everyday normal routine. When, surprise, <laughs> they find themselves confronted with a ministry opportunity. An opportunity for witness. And their opportunity came in the form of a professional beggar who expects a handout and, surprise, receives far more. There is also a lot of surprise in this next section that we're not going to be able to unpack as much. But the surprise is this. Unexpected opportunity for ministry. Peter doesn't go to temple thinking, hey, I'm ready to preach. When I'm getting ready to preach, I've got my outline, I've got my words, I've got my study notes. I'm ready because I know I'm going to come preach right now. But Peter demonstrates the truth that we should be ready in and out of season at all times to speak of the work of God, to live as a witness whenever the ministry opportunity provides itself. And it provides itself often if you're looking. We'll come back to that in just a second. So there's this surprising message. The surprising message isn't just that Peter all of a sudden is going to be preaching when he hadn't planned to, but it's the content of his message that the one whom the Jews killed was the one who brings them life. Inherent in the gospel is its own surprise. There's a lot going on here, but long story short, Peter just lays out this killer sermon. He just brings it hardcore to these people, and he preaches with great boldness, and he's pointing to them. He's saying this to them, and I can imagine them hear him say these kinds of words to them. Peter, verse 12, was seeing that all these people were coming, and so let's pick it up there. He says this, he addresses the people, and he says, Men of Israel, he's speaking to Jews, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we made him walk. He's careful to make sure that it's God's power that did this, and that he communicates that to them. And then in verses 13 to 15, he just, he just goes for the jugular. Look at this. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He says, the God of our fathers. He's speaking to Jews who know this kind of terminology. The God whose covenant was made with you and your fathers glorified his servant Jesus, verse 13, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, whom he, when he had decided to release him. And then he says, but you denied you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. <laughs> Surprise! The God of our fathers, 
whom you delivered over and denied, the Holy and Righteous One. Just imagine Peter raising his voice, speaking to people whose own sin had put him on the cross, saying, you killed the author of life with your sin. You killed the one who gave you life. Surprise, he's alive. And he's the one who brought this man healing. No one, no one expected that. Did you? Did I? Did we expect that the one whom we sent to the cross with our sin is the one that makes us alive, brings us life, freedom from the sin that sent him to the cross? There's this awesome element of surprise that is inherent in the gospel message. Your sin is responsible for sending Jesus to die on the cross, and it is that very death that makes freedom from that sin and that responsibility possible. That's crazy. But that's inherent in the message that we communicate as witnesses. And it happens because of faith in his name, verse 16. Peter's still preaching. He says, and his name, by faith in his name, in the name of Jesus, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, verse 17, he continues, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. He goes on to, in the rest of the chapter to explain that, that Moses was talking about Jesus, that, that Moses was saying a prophet would come, and that prophet came in the person of Jesus. So what does all this mean for us what does all this, this story of this lame man healed, able to go into the temple because Peter and John were surprised by the opportunity for ministry? And what does all this mean? I think there are lots of things we could say, but I, just, I want to just suggest uh, two key things for us. The first is one that we've already made note of quite a few times, but it bears repeating because number two depends on the truth of number one here. Uh, put simply, God's plan is to do his work through his people. God's plan is, was, always has been to do his work through his people. It's easy for us to, to hope, to wish, to dream that the work has to always happen without us, doesn't it? That'd be a lot easier. It'd be a lot easier if I didn't, if I didn't have to, to bear with the weight and suffering of Jesus on the cross personally for the sake of others to know the gospel. It'd be, it'd be so much easier, wouldn't it, if we didn't have to do that. But that's not how it works. We've seen it in every chapter of the beginning of Acts, and it continues here in Acts 3. And throughout the whole book, God's plan all along was to do his work through his people. Peter and John didn't plan to heal someone and bring them to faith in Christ when they arrived at the temple. But they knew 
this truth that God's plan is to do his work through his people so they weren't at all surprised at an opportunity for them to do the work. So don't be surprised because you know that that's how it's supposed to happen. And secondly, they took advantage of the opportunity for ministry because they were looking for opportunities. Sure, they didn't arrive at the temple planning to heal a man. I mean, it's not like they woke up in the morning saying, you know, I think I'm going to heal a man who has been lame for 40 years. I think that's probably going to be part of my agenda today. (laughs) But they might have. They might have awakened with the resolve that for just this one day, that God wants to provide them with ways to serve people in his name. I'll bet on that day, Peter and John approached their day with a kind of prayer that knows that God's plan is to do his work through his people. I bet they woke up and they said to God in the morning, Lord, use me today. Maybe they were praying on the way to the temple. Maybe as they approached a relationship or or someone that they saw or they knew, they were thinking to themselves, Lord, use me today. Maybe that was their heart. In fact, I think it probably was. Because we see how God uses that. That kind of willingness and openness. The willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. To take on the weight and the burden of what Christ did for us personally. What else do we think meaningful Christian ministry looks like. I don't know how, Lord. I don't know when. But open my eyes for opportunities to be used by you today. Is that your prayer? Lord, use me today. Father in heaven, we are people who want the easy way out. We are people who don't want to bear personal responsibility for the calling you've given us. We'd really rather someone else, perhaps trained, perhaps older, perhaps perceived by us as more mature. We really want those people, Father, to take on that kind of weight and burden of ministry. So, Father, we, uh, we admit that fault before you. We confess that sin to you. We ask, Father, that you would open our eyes for ministry that we wouldn't be surprised, but that we would take advantage of every opportunity you've given us, that we would leave this place with a resolve to use the resources you've gifted us for the sake of your cause and your kingdom. In the name of Christ we pray.